Hi, welcome to Last Line Theater Collaborative. Uh, my name is Tony Latham. I'm Tony Machete. I'm Taylor Machete. I'm Karan Kumar. I'm Ariel Hurst. And I'm Ada McCartney. Perfect. So this is our new company for this show. Um, uh, this particular production is going to be a little bit different from last time. Um, and so what we're going to be working on tonight is really going to be pushing towards finding what exactly that is. <laughs> so. so, I mean, if you couldn't tell from the auditions, like... What we really feel like are focusing on this time is, like, creating characters. For, like, last time I think we kind of focused a little more on plot. We were picking, like, two one-act plays and, like, what are the stories we want to do, what are the things we want to do, and, like, building it up from there. And we were just kind of filling in the roles for each other, what we thought would be best. Um, so this time we're kind of trying to start with, like, the characters themselves and, like, who are the characters that we find interesting, what's a type of person we've always wanted to explore, and then we're kind of letting the story come from these people kind of meeting intersecting. So that's... I. At least where I'm coming from on this. So. Yeah, like what would happen if these two characters met up? Like, what would they talk about? Yeah. What yeah. conflicts would occur? And like, so. after after auditions, we all kind of met up and we were talking about we're like, oh well, based off of uh, KK's monologue and then based off of uh, Ariel's monologue, it's it's we're just like making yeah. connections. We're already making plots happen out of like yeah. Mm-hmm. So as far as like your guys' monologues and your characters that you guys developed, are those characters that you guys wanted to continue or did you want to start fresh? Um, I'm definitely open to starting fresh. Um, I am interested in the character. I've had in my brain a lot of different iterations of it. Mm -hmm. So it would be kind of fun to, like, follow some of those avenues and see where they lead. For everyone's sake, do you guys want to talk about who (laughs) your character, like, what you're doing for your monologues? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Self-deprecation right off the bat. (laughs) Turn it off, let's start again. (laughs) So go ahead and talk a little bit about that first. Um, Sure. I have been playing with this character named America as sort of like a hopefully not too on the nose personification of America, but this like complicated female mid or like quarter to midlife person who's struggling through the culture and the system and and also is a prophet and like has this zealous prophetic visionary thing that may or may not be insanity it may may be prophetic it may just be you know loony bin um and at one in one iteration I made her a blues singer because I thought that would be kind of a sexy like disillusioned person to explore um and in another version she was more of like a street corner poet type person um and that's kind of where that's kind of where we've landed at the moment. Interesting, because it's kind of like approaching the they, they kind of those both of those things are like approaching the same subject matter a lot of the time, just like underbelly of America type stuff like that. But like with the blues term, it's very much like Charles Bukowski, like just like <laughs> very like dirty, just like chill. It's like yeah, man, stuff's beat up, stuff's messed up. But as long as you have just some boxed wine and some cigarettes, like you can just get through it. And then like on the other side, like it's the, like you have like the the soapbox like preacher person who's coming out of like a very angry, hostile type of thing. So I think it's interesting that you're like trying to take that character into both those kind of extremes and emotions. Not so great with walking the middle line. It's usually (laughs) one of the others. Maybe maybe I should work toward more middle ground. Well, extreme is good in theater. Mm -hmm. Be dramatic. Make a choice. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, what about you, 
Cool. Well, uh, your character sounds incredibly interesting, and I like the prophetic aspect because I feel like my character needs like a psychic or something right now. Um, (laughs) She's looking for all the help that she can get. Um, So her name is Olivia, and she uh, very recently found out that her boyfriend is gay. Um, And that sort of has shattered her whole world because she she's all about work. Um, He was really about work. She was like, yeah, he's stressed, but, you know, he's getting through it. That's why he's acting kind of weird, you know, and she's plugging along in the way that she does, which is like work harder. You know, everything's going to be fine. And instead, uh, this whole situation has kind of crumbled and she doesn't feel like she can leave him because she doesn't want to reject him because that's sort of the stereotype is that like you come out and the community will reject you and she doesn't want to do that because she loves him so much. So instead, she's kind of stuck in this weird situation where she's now like pivoted to being his like best friend, his kind beard. of. <laughs> yeah, kind of like his beard. Like, and she doesn't know what to do because she still loves him, but he kind of is needing to go explore himself. So it's a very interesting situation. Fewer, I have defined fewer things about her than I have about her circumstances. And I mean, probably good full disclosure, why did I come up with this character? It's a very similar situation has happened to me. <laughs> so I was like, Catharsis. This can be written down. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. can I ask a personal question? Then is that like I don't know if this is more of a character, or maybe it's bleeding into real life too. Is that um, was this guy? Was he happy after the breakup? Uh, or does that not matter? He, yeah, he was happy. He was, <laughs> so he was happy. I, I think I'm I'm on a similar train. So he was like. Hey, I'm gay, but you know, let's still be together, live together. He was more just like he was like really broken, and I was just like 100% the support system. Okay. So it was so that you didn't get a chance to grieve because you had to help him not pretty much. And then I like really built my identity into like supporting him even after he didn't need it anymore. And so that caused like a falling out, but that was several years down the road. Wow. <laughs> So. Um, Drama, it's was, perfect. It. <laughs> was this a was this like an exploration or was it like a reveal? Uh, what do you, the, the breakup? Like, were you guys like oh. exploring the avenues what it would need to to break up, or was it just like all of a sudden? No, it was like all of a sudden, and it okay. wasn't like. By the way, no, I didn't see it coming at oh, all. Okay. Which is why just projecting onto <laughs> yeah. you. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, honestly, I didn't see it coming at all, and no one else did either. Like it was fun being there for the reveal when he told other people because I was there for like all the first people, and they were like, "Holy shit!" You know. <laughs> so that was kind of entertaining at the very least. Um, no, it was more. He told me that actually that he was bi, and he didn't know if he wanted, to, but like clearly, it became pretty clear right away what was going to happen. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Would it be inappropriate to ask you like what that conversation looked like? Was it like over drinks at the bar one night? Hey, hey sweetheart, way, I'm just you know are you throwing things. Like, we're all fascinated considering my sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was we were in a uh, pitch meeting, and he was just sitting there like super rigid, and you something. Yeah, this is actually, this happened in college. In this story, I move it more into professional life, but this happened in college when we were working at the student newspaper. Um, So he was, like, clearly very rigid, and so he finally, like, texts me, and he's like, go meet me in my room. And I was like, okay. And, like, something had been wrong, so I was like, okay, now I'm going to find out what it is. I'm super curious. So, yeah, we're sitting on his bed, and I'm like, the was like, so what's up? And he is just twitching and rocking, and I'm like, oh shit, whatever this is, I'm gonna be a big one. <laughs> Turned out it was, and he just goes, 
I think I'm bi. And then just starts bawling. And I'm like, that must have been what? Yeah. And I mean, like, I didn't really have a lot of time to process it, which is why the story takes place several days later, because it kind of took that window of time to be like, wait a second, what is happening here? It was more just me being like, okay, hug. Mm-hmm. I'll just let you talk. <laughs> you talk, I'll listen. So it was, it was really interesting. But our relationship re- remained very, like, intimate, even without, like, the romantic aspects. So that was why it was, like, particularly confusing for me, I think, because in a lot, it was very different, but in a lot of ways, not that different. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, it was a very interesting experience. <laughs> Imagine. Wow. Yeah, so draw from real life for my character. <laughs> Absolutely. Ron, you kind of did this something similar. Yeah. Uh, Not similar. Nah. Well, actually, actually, I did play a joke in college and I regret it. Were you on the other side? Do you need more catharsis? Very, well, very similar to what happened, except I was joking with a girl who had a crush on me and I wasn't aware of that. And she was just really close to me and I I was this playboy in college, just not committal. And I just played a prank on her telling her that I was gay and she was bawling. Aww. So how do you recover from that? Do you say, oh, I'm just she kidding. Said, no, yeah, no, no. Like, <laughs> she bought into it, so I'm like, either I must have been a really good actor or she thought, dude, this guy's been gay the whole time. <laughs> so I don't know. So, well, um, my character, mm-hmm. also I drew um, from my real life experiences, except every person in, uh, in my story just is not a person in my real life. Um, so my monologue was about um, the day my, my father was about to leave. He was about to die. And um, uh, my entire life I wanted to be like my father. My father's alive, by the way. My entire life I wanted to be like my father. And he was on his deathbed. And he wakes up, and the last minute, in the last few seconds, all he tells me was, um, don't be like me. Pursue your dreams. So that shattered me, right? Um, and then I had this conversation with my, I'm having this conversation with my girlfriend that I've got to go and she, she's holding me back. I've got to go. So I've, I related it to me in such a way that, uh, my girlfriend is the situation that, that I'm in with, 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 um, engineering. That's something that I like, but I don't mm-hmm. want to do for the rest of my life. Um, my father was that moment that, you know, I went through a couple months ago that I was like, man, what am I doing? Uh, you know, I got to pursue my dreams. So... So I, that's how I related my character to my life, um, and I, I used situations uh, as people in it, and so that was my story. Not as complicated as you guys, but it was well, just, a, so it's question. just an awakening. Okay, so um, in, in your story, <clears throat> the father died, and he said, don't do what I did, be happy. Um, was that a lie? Or do you think he, on that last moment, he was really trying to be genuine? So the way I looked at it was I had a, had a conversation with one of my mentors. Um, and I asked him, he was about to retire, um, and I asked him, if you, look, if you knew what you knew today, um, what would you do 30 years ago? And he told me a few things that sounded like he regretted the choices that he made. Um, and so the stuff that I told him, he was very fascinated by. And so I, 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 I kind of, you know, looked at him and said, hey, you know, I'm 60, 70 years old. I don't want to look back and say I regretted not pursuing my dreams. So I don't think it was a lie that the father said because he woke up and all he said, all he could think about was his biggest regret in his life. Even though he was so happy with his family, he, he had everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but not giving him that opportunity and that unfulfilled dream just killed him. Um, not, 
but every, right. every day of his life. And so I don't want that to be me. It's, there's like a list of like the top ten things, the top most popular things that people say on their deathbed. And on that is like, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I had more fun. I wish I was more happy. Never once has someone been like, I wish I worked more. I wish I made more money. <laughs> I wish I had less time. So it's interesting that you say that because it's like, at that last moment, you can really see the honesty in somebody when they have nothing to lose because they've lost everything. And in a way, I felt like that father was me. However, he was talking to me because family is very important to me. Don't get me wrong. Culturally, I'm from India and family's everything. Um, but I, I'm not... And like I said, there was a part in the monologue where I said, I don't want to be the father who tells his kids to dream, to dream big when I can't fulfill my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to create a family and have them chase after dreams when I'm not doing, doing it myself. Um, so a part of the father was in a way me in the future, you know, saying I have everything, yet I feel like I don't because there was something that I held on for so long in my life since I, you know, since I was 13 so I'm about to die. I'm holding on that dream and never chasing after it. So that void in my life consumed me at the last minute. So, so if you, this might be too abstract of a question, but if you're, uh, if you're thinking of yourself as like father in this situation and you're way far in the future and you're thinking about like everything that uh, could have been, even though you're, you're pretty happy with uh, everything now, it, if you in that situation had the option of going back and changing things so that you, you, know, you got to pursue your dreams knowing full well that you wouldn't have this happy family and that you wouldn't have it, like, these people wouldn't be in your life, do you feel like you'd go back and do it? Yes. Okay. So you feel like that's more important to you than those people? Correct. So happiness is greater than everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you say that you... I'm not, I'm not interrogating, but no, like um, that uh, it would be disingenuine or even hypocritical to look at your child and say, I want you to follow your dreams when you yourself have not followed your dreams. Right. But would that advice be more beneficial to him regardless of your own situation? That's exactly what I was hoping that character got out of that. Okay. So like the father figure, even if he Maybe he didn't regret his life. Maybe right. he enjoyed his situation, but he right. knew that what his son needed to hear was this. this. Right. His yeah. last moment was for his son. Right. Okay. And if there was, if there was anything he wanted to give him, mm-hmm. that was probably the biggest gift of his life, is that awakening. So the only thing, or maybe I can't conflate it to that, but like, um, seems like. I don't know. I guess you could say the greatest gift you can give another person is happiness, but I don't, I don't think that's true. The freedom to pursue their own happiness. I don't think that's true either because you can't take someone's freedom to pursue their happiness. But it, it, there's, there's something in there that I really like where in your last moments that it's more important to do something for another than it is to do for yourself. Because like you have those moments where, like, I mean, I was listening to like a, a, something on NPR where... Um, they, uh, these people were in a tornado and the, the convenience store worker had to lock everybody in the cooler in order to save their lives and he stood there holding the door shut so that everybody could survive 
And it's like, he didn't have to. He was just working at a convenience store. And his la- he didn't die, fortunately. But his last moments, you know, he's everybody's saying, I love you, I love you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, oh, I love you. Um, to each other, they're all strangers. <laughs> guy is like, yeah, and so like in their last <laughs> moments, had they all died, they were more focused on I love you. I want you to know that I'm sorry, everything's okay. They were more worried about everybody else than they were about themselves. And it like created this like, I don't know, if you can even like personify it in such a way that it created this like gel that kind of stuck them all together and then they said he said that one of the girls that was in there um, he eventually married and he invited them all wow. to the wedding and they were just they all came they all just immediately became this like immediate group of people they became hmm. family in those last uh, moments even though they didn't die yeah there's something really interesting in that like cementing circumstance of tragedy and impending destruction I wonder if that gift that you're talking about is like empathy or honesty. I mean, honesty is great, but you can be like, you can be unkind and honest. You can be like, hey, your glasses really suck. <laughs> and that's not necessarily productive. <laughs> but, um, but you can also like give the gift of like empathetic honesty. And I wonder if that's maybe what the father had for the son. Be cynical, but I almost feel like is there a way to look at situations like that and and see it as just a moment of like a last moment kind of ego, and that it's like I need to clear my conscience before mm, I leave. Definitely. So is it, is it even really about the other person? Like if you're locked in a cooler with a bunch of strangers and you're like, I love you, I'm sorry, you know, I I want to say this now because I'll never get to say it again. Is it almost just saying like I might die, so I need to feel good about it by it when I die? Absolutely. And is that I mean even if. Is that like a? Yeah. Is that a negative thing? Even if it's just like trying to clear your conscience. I, don't know. I mean, I've never had a near death experience yeah. before like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I grew up in my household, but um, <laughs> you know, like, but I guess you can. I guess you can see it from both ways. Is that maybe it's maybe the empathy idea? No, I don't know where I'm going with this, but more like. Yeah, you can be more, like, focused on yourself, like, oh, I need to have this one moment of closure so that I can actually get to heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't say this, if I don't confess all of my sins <laughs> real quick, God's not going to love me anymore. And then you just get stuck in limbo because God's like, well, you were one sin shy of heaven. So maybe if that tornado was five minutes away. Yeah, exactly. If it's something like that or it's just more like, I don't care about me. I'm done for. You're just and already, you're, you know, you're thinking nihilistically. I don't exist. I need to help you. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it's the familial bond that makes the difference, or it could be that in that moment, he could, he, the father could have been either honest or empathetic. Right. Either I need to say this for my own sake, regardless of how you feel. So that's honesty. Or I can say whatever you need me to say so that you feel better. And that's empathy. But I don't think you can do both. Can you? Hmm. Yeah. Still Otherwise, you're compromising it's trickier. both. Yeah. Because for me, honesty is a hundred percent. It's a totality. Right. Yeah. Because like, if I, a white lie is not honest, right. mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I really like your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wearing glasses, so like, no matter how I was honest. Like, Someone needs to clarify. I'm not wearing glasses. <laughs> wearing glasses. You can all see that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, she's got a gun. Um, no, for the let the record show, she's put her gun away. Um, no, like you can be honest, but if you're not being completely honest, then it's disingenuous. But I don't know if empathy is the same way because you could be like a little empathetic, but it seems like if you're moving one step towards empathy, you're in empathy. Right. Like one step into Walmart, you're in Walmart. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. 
those are like the antithesis of each other or not antithesis. One other kind of comment, not so much about the father, but also um, thinking more about the son. I think that story reveals something interesting about people and something, that, in my opinion, that's kind of sad, which is a lot of people are waiting for a license to be happy. Like, why do people feel the need to wait for that moment? Like, someone else to tell them, like, now it's okay. In, like, some cosmic significant way, father's last breath, you know, someone gets struck by lightning. I need to live my life for, to the fullest now. Like... It's a good point. Like, why does it need yeah. to be, a, like, a sign from the yeah. gods about this? Like, if the father in that situation had just told him, like, a couple years before, like, oh, man, you know what? I don't want you to be like me. You should go live your life. Like, would it have the same effect as, yeah. like, being the last breath? Like, why does it, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, over Thanksgiving. Assuredly <laughs> not. <laughs> I mean, I can't say assuredly. I have a question. Yeah. Um, as you were telling the story, I kept wondering, is... Where, where is your character at on this journey of, like, having discovered this truth that, not super happy in life, not really following my dreams, vision, truth or, like, is, is further validated by the father dying. And so you're living in this, like, validated truth that what you're doing isn't making you happy. There's something else out there. Where are you on the spectrum of, like... I know what that thing is, and I've already taken, like, I've already jumped off the cliff. I'm right. there. Or are you kind of like, eh, maybe it's out there somewhere? No, that is, that's a fantastic question, because that's exactly, well, that character, the son, is, is me, exactly in that position today. Um, so, to answer your comment first, um, is sometimes, like, you know, from the, from the society that I come we have a lot of society pressure. You know, we have uh, the society norms in India. You know, you're either a doctor or an engineer, and if you're not, you know, your family's looked down upon, so to belong in this society, you have to follow these paths. And so, as kids, our dreams are, I wouldn't say shattered, but kind of, you know, locked up in a box and thrown somewhere else. You know, I, wanted to, I actually wanted to be a cricketer, which is, you know, for most people, no, it's a sport. Play cricket? Oh. America, it's not baseball. <laughs> it's like baseball, though, right? Similar. Yeah. Um, Point of inquiry that's going to make me sound like an idiot. Is that the one on horses? That's no, polo. That's polo. Thank you. Yes. Reasonable question. <laughs> Just as similar to baseball. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, please continue. No, sure, sure. So, you know, we, we have a... It's extremely challenging, um, you know, because... When you're 18 or 19, you're already through like three years of college back in India. This mm. is how competitive it is. You know, it's, it's, a, it's like applying for a job is like there's 12,000 people for two positions. So age matters, what you learn, everything, all the technical a- aspects in your life, all, all of this matters. So all of a sudden when you're like 13 or 14, you have this burden um, of learning technical, like grasping all this technical knowledge because the competition is so tough. And uh, there is no time to explore dreams and arts and other avenues. And um, so we get stuck with that, you know, society norm and pleasing our our neighbors because, oh, everybody's studying engineering? Fine. We have no gossip. Oh, this person is into commerce or into arts. Oh, my God, this family sucks. (laughs) What are they doing? Don't they care about their kids? So, so yes. So we need to get some sort of freedom of thought to get that, you know, to get that, you know, that moment of light. It's like that little light at the end of the tunnel. 
that's what's that's what's holding us back until well, at least for the for the Indian community, that's what holds us back because until we get past everything that we are scheduled to do, you know, get an engineering degree and get a job in a reputed company, and now the world's not talking about you because oh my son is an engineer, he's good to go. And then you're like, all right, so I don't have this pressure on me. I have no one judging me. I have no one judging my family. However, they're going to knock on my door a couple of years later and say, hey, why is he not married now? <laughs> so that pressure is coming. <laughs> so you got plenty of time, right? So, so yeah, so even if we, you know, we explore that, it's really hard because we have this, because we're in a middle class. Now, however, if you're in a lower class society, they don't care what you do. And if you're in an upper class society, they don't care because, oh, he's got money. The family's got money. So we don't care. They're rich. So it's the middle class that suffers, and however, we do have a lot of you know, visionaries and dreamers coming out of the middle class. That's what's really running the country. So to answer your question, yeah, we get, you know, there's a lot of constraints on us when we go through this thing called life as teenagers, that well, it's too much pressure, we can't explore things, uh, we get pulled away. However, my parents allowed me to do enough for me to stay creative, play sport, athletic, athleticism and stuff, I kept it all up. Um, you know, they allowed me to go to some classes, uh, acting classes and stuff. Just goes, oh, he, you know, he won't cry tomorrow. You know, just let him go for a Drum a bone. So, yeah, so I'm in a position where now I'm free to explore things. Hence, that light. Uh, and your question, um, that character is exactly me at this current situation. I see it. I see. I, you see, I, I, you I like see have it. a clear picture I have of a clear picture. what it is. I, when, I, when I'm awake, when I'm sleeping, when I'm, when I'm eating, when I'm walking, I see it. I see it. Um, and just like my job, if I don't see something six months from now, it's going to have a huge financial impact. So that's already embedded in me for the last five years on how to approach something that, it, that needs to materialize six, or six months to a year from now. And talking about engineering concepts, very in, a, in an aerospace, you have to be extreme because of lives and so many other things that are attached to it. So you have to be very, very certain about what you do. So I am absolutely certain who I see myself in you know, three to five years from now. I see that picture. However, I just don't know how to get there. This happens to be one of those paths. And every path that I take is an exploration on how to get there. Uh, I'm not trying to find the fastest way. I'm trying to find the strongest way. Um, so... I don't know how long it's going to take, but I clearly see that. However, that light happens to be that freedom that I just, uh, you know, started to feel, you know, three to four months ago. Um, after I came back from India, um, my, my um, brother-in-law got married, and that was a moment when I woke up and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be me, me in a couple of years, and I'm going to have someone with me. And that, you know, not to say that's a bad thing, however... You know, Pressure. if it's not within the same field, you know, it gets tough, you know, and if I need to travel or if I need to go explore something and just drop everything here and just move to L.A. or move to Seattle, it's hard. You can't mm -hmm. do something like that. So this is my time to shine and hence. Okay, okay what, what is your character's name? George. George. Hmm. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I've, we've, I've sort of seen connections uh, between your guys' characters already. I don't know if you guys have already been noticing it, but it seems a lot of, um, like, w more focusing on this idea of pursuing your dreams versus holding back. So in your yeah. situation is that um, this, in Olivia's situation, that her ex is, you know, pursuing his dreams. 
and really you are the manifestation of society, of culture, of norms, and even if you're trying to break from the stereotype of, oh, well, he's gay, I'm going to break up with him, that you are self-conscious, you're aware of your place in the world. But this this you know this boyfriend decides that he needs to be happy more so than anything else and he, it's a calculated risk he's thought about it a lot um whether it's you know whether he's gay or he's pursuing a, a dream to be a slam poet or an engineer or he wants to you know fly a rocket to the moon or whatever um this risk is calculated and he needs to do it now because if he waits another year there won't be time because right. maybe someone's going to be knocking on his door asking him about it. Maybe there's something, there's like a ticking time bomb somewhere kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's imperative that he does it now, and he's been thinking about it up to here, and now he's ready to go. So that journey for him is extremely empathetic until you make that decision. Now you're being honest. While you this whole time have been honest this whole time, and when he reveals that, now you switch to being empathetic because you want to be supportive. And that's the disconnect, is that you would like you guys are obviously not on the same page. So that's a connection that I'm seeing right now. I think it's kind of interesting just talking about like the pursuing of dreams. Like if you if your character is really like a personification of America, I mean <laughs> I think that's like literally like the American dream is like a, the thing that like encourages people to do that. Like everyone else be damned, follow your heart no matter what happens. Don't let anyone hold you back and don't let anyone, you know, make you feel like you shouldn't. No matter what and so that I mean that's a very hopeful inspirational sentiment but it can also be kind of toxic like if you we see it all the time in like the theater world like people will like want to be an actor and like someone will say like you know you you're not very talented you're not very good at this you need to work on this and they're like no I'm gonna be an actor like <laughs> that's it can be kind of harmful to the the world around you if you're not willing to you know look at those dreams in a different light which is to say like everyone should follow their dreams. Like, why would you not want somebody to follow their dreams? That's an impossible thing to tell someone. Like, you have to do that. And so I think it's very interesting to have that as a character, like, to, to say, like, you need to follow your dreams. Of course you should have to follow your dreams. But, like, what about what happens because of that? But then there's the reality. Uh-huh. You, you raised a lovely point. The reality that, like, yes, dreams, follow them. But what are the consequences of following those dreams? Are you going to live on the street if you decide to give up your career? Because... There's nobody to pay your bills for you because you're in a lower middle class family. Are you, Mm -hmm. you know, if you are choosing to leave a relationship, is it because you're just, you know, selfish? You're like, okay, it's getting hard. Mm -hmm. You know, the going's getting tough. Ah, I think I'm I'm out, guys. (laughs) Or is it like a really measured thing? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, in a situation like Ariel's character-wise, then her dream was to be in that relationship and keep moving forward. So, like, at what point do you have to... be happy with that? Yeah, exactly. At what point, uh, like, do you have to suck it up and be like, you know what, no, I have to be sympathetic because, like you said, if you're not, then then, then you're just, like, the rest of evil society saying, no, you're keeping them down. But, like, what about your needs? What about your happiness? We have uh, friends, like, a couple that are engaged. Your story kind of reminded me of them. Um, They got Mm -hmm. engaged, um, and then into like about six months or so into the engagement um the guy came out as transgender he so he's like he is wants to be a woman now and like the the fiance of of her wants to be supportive and like is still kind of coming through with it but she's not a lesbian so now she has to say like okay is the fact that i love this person enough for me to pretty much change my sexual orientation to stay with them so it's like because she like they don't want to end the relationship the 
the uh, friend she who still yeah, loves. the friend who came out as transgender like wants to keep it going, and it's like that she doesn't want to go pursue anybody else. She wants to stay with her, and so like now she has to kind of reconcile that and just be okay with it. I think I think I, mm. I think that's a really fascinating thing where like like for George's character that he's able to pursue his dreams unencumbered except for all the circumstances going with it but it's a calculated risk so you've already accounted for it so you are able to drop what you're doing and move to LA or Seattle I think that's interesting because if you connect your happiness with another person is that now you're like two tugboats in a chaotic ocean is that you're going to be pulling each other in different directions until something snaps so is that real happiness or is that just you know Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Well, I was going to say one other thing that I thought was really interesting that's sort of like uh, the juxtaposition of our two situations in particular is uh, you have this very clear vision of what you want, both you personally and your character. And I think my character, she just had her vision of the future shattered. Shattered, yeah. So, and I think in this situation of your friends, even when you talk about it, the thing is, do you want to let go of the future of the future that you knew that you wanted. Because if you let go of it, then you have a blank canvas because everything was built around that. Mm -hmm. And blank canvas is a really scary thing to look at, I think. It's it's really weird when one person, like, just by one revelation, one person trying to do something positive, like, for them, the world is their oyster, but for the people around them, maybe, like, all of their windows have been closed. Yeah. Interesting. Because, I mean, one thing that we kind of talked about, um, I didn't realize that he left us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either. One uh, thing that we were talking about uh, the other day after after the auditions, when we were just kind of like spitballing connections between all you guys before you realized what was happening. Um, <laughs> yeah, we went to In-N-Out and like, we went to In-N-Out and we were just like, oh, what if we did this? This is like, oh, wait, no, 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 that sounds That's amazing. amazing. By the way, oh yeah, there's an in and out like five minutes away. We go there a lot after rehearsals and stuff. So oh, no, that that's, that That's yeah. why there was an email at two a.m. Yeah, <laughs> we just got because we decided in-N-Out. we wanted to. Start like we'll just let today. you guys know right away. Yeah, we got way like too it. excited and we're like, let's just tell them. We know we're gonna take those three. Um, take them. Yeah, because we knew. <laughs> As yeah, you do, right snatch them up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, but one of the things that we were talking about is kind of a potential plot point is like. Somebody who did, like ha- had like a moment with their father and they're on their deathbed, just as a contrast, but like didn't get that encouraging moment and stuff. And it's just kind of a, I don't know, just as a contrast of like, do they, do they feel like they shouldn't pursue their dreams at that point? Like they they never got that permission, like you were talking about before. Do they what happens with the person who doesn't have the future wide open for them, but they still have the same passions and I don't know. Mm. If you never get to kind of have that oh like permissive moment from somebody else, just like. Ariel's character kind of gave to her ex-boyfriend is like she gave him the permission to be happy just like your father gave you the permission to be happy it's, it would be an interesting contrast to see somebody who didn't get that I guess that's what I'm talking about yeah. so, so my father in the yeah. monologue in the story my father um, happened exactly 117 days ago I'll tell you why <laughs> 117 days ago it's and I didn't consciously think about it until like I wrote it. 117 days ago is when I completely quit drinking alcohol. So yeah, I've been completely sober since. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and it was it was tough because you know I live in Scottsdale. 
You know, <laughs> I have a little bit of money to throw around. I have friends who are all well off. We all went to college. We've been out of college now for five years. So we have a little bit of spare change to throw around. And so it, it's a fun life here, too. Um, but then, you know, with this whole workout and trying to pursue your dreams, the alcohol was kind of impeding on it. And so I, I identified it as an enemy, and I said, i got to put this to rest, right? So that moment was sort of kind of what my father was telling me. It's like, you know, stop what you're doing and pursue your dreams, you know. So what I thought 117 days ago, what life was and what I was doing and just belonging society and just doing things, going out, that was life until that moment I was, you know, when I was at the bar and I was like, man, this is adding no value to my life. I love my friends, but do I always have to drink to be around them? Um, and ever since, you know, they've been forcing me to drink, but then slowly the ones who are forcing me are kind of going away because then I start to realize the people that really matter to me are the ones who are encouraging me and who stay around. And so, so that, that was when it really happened. That was, that was dad telling me, you know, don't give up on your dreams is that, that flashy moment where I thought, okay, you know, yeah, so why am I doing what I'm doing and I need to take this leap of faith, go forward with it. So, sorry, go ahead, please. Um, curious, is your character's, is for your character, is following his dreams contingent on sobriety? Is sobriety a particularly poignant aspect for you of George? Correct. Okay. It is, um, because I'm eliminating everything from my life that don't, doesn't add value to my path, escalating me, escalating because I use that word, taking me up towards my dream, if it's not, um, and exploration is great, I will explore everything until I find out that that is not it, if it's pulling me back, then yes, and sobriety happens to be one of it, just because, you know... The amount of hours that I spend, hours and the money that you spend, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to say, guys, don't, don't quit alcohol, all right? Don't, we won't. But what I, <laughs> <laughs> no worries about that. <laughs> I found myself, I, I'll be honest, I, I found myself at the end of the night coming home. And when, when I was in college, it was fun, you know, it was like, go out, meet some girls, you know, talk shit with the guys, you know. How many more years are we going to do that, right? At some point, you're going to grow up. And so it started to get just redundant, and it had no value in my life. And so, yes, I identified it as one of those things that is taking me, like, yeah, maybe I wake up in the morning and I'm all so passionate about achieving my dreams, and I take these 10 steps to go audition, but then so, uh, alcohol pulled me two steps back. And I was like, all right, you know, it's not really adding value to me. It's, you know, it takes away from my workout time. It takes away from being creative, having discussions such as these, writing, just doing random monologues and posting it online for people to watch and give me feedback because that started to become really important to me. And I was like, hey, you know, it's not out there. It's all in here. I think, I think I'm, I was looking for it out there. I was looking for some sort of inspiration from people or whatever. And I think it was not there. It was something that I generated. It was something that a moment just told me, you know, hey, this is not it. It's not. And then it was, it was beautiful because every moment after that was a revelation in itself because I would go to the bar with my friends and I would, you know, I would practice willpower, you know. How do you put down a free shot? How do you put down a free beer? In the hot months when someone gives you a nice cold beer, how do you put it down, right? So I said, hey, I think I'm probably gaining a lot more 
from rejecting that offer rather than having that instant gratification of feeling good. I didn't need that alcohol to feel good. I didn't need some, some sort of stimulant or depressant or whatever to feel something different. I started to feel better myself. Um, and it took me away from the pressure of, because I started to create a character in me that, hey, I need to drink alcohol to be free to talk to a pretty girl, right, at the bar. And I was like, why, why, did I, why do I need to do that? You know, why, why do I need alcohol to give me the courage to go talk to a girl, right? And so that was something that happened in college uh, that took a few shots. I mean, if you watch Big Bang Theory, you would know Raj, and he, has to, he takes a couple of beers, ah, damn, he he's all over the floor with the girls, right? Is why did I need that? Yeah, my brother is exactly like you. Oh, really? <laughs> so why did I? Why do I need that, right? Yeah. So, so if I and and then I started to feel like, hey, you know, I have no alcohol. I'm just having a great time. I'm dancing. I'm hanging around with friends. I'm having a fantastic time. I'm just talking to random people. Actually, remembering conversations, mm-hmm. meeting a lot of interesting people, and remembering these conversations and networking and stuff. So I started seeing a lot of value in not drinking, um, and going out and having a social life because it added. You know, it took away some of the ignorance in my life. I learned more things. I met new people. And the ones that stuck around mattered to me. And so... Yeah, sorry. Uh, to, so to kind of pull that back a little bit, because it seems like with George's character, that drinking, job, girlfriend, these are all things that you're willing to give up in yeah. order to follow your dreams. Right. And like with all these other characters, is I think that if we are exploring this idea of dreams and happiness and what we need to be happy... Um, I think we can really kind of find other characters in there. Like, it's, it, you think about it like it's it's, it's a die. It's a six sided die almost. So, like, you have a character who is unhappy until he's happy. Yeah. And you have a character who's happy until she's unhappy. And you have a character who's always happy. Or perhaps America is never happy or never it's, will it's be. It's interesting. I was thinking. So you have yeah, that. You have, some, sure. you have characters that are always happy. Characters who are never happy. Characters who dream of happiness who never need happiness and things like that. That's uh, actually kind of one of the other addresses. You haven't really talked about like the like the meat of your character much yet. Is like if as a prophet, your life is kind of dedicated to like kind of things for other people because it's all just about like projecting other people's futures and like showing everyone else their own paths and stuff like that and like what room do you have left for your own substance Ooh, I love that question yeah <laughs> no sorry no it's after go <laughs> okay it's after. um i one of the things that i feel is a weak spot for me in character development is like the situational specifics i'm so meta and so conceptual and so i've thought a lot about like what it means to be prophetic and what it what what consequences does that have on like an individual existing in day-to-day life? And so I like started thinking about like biblical prophets who in their time were like, you know, hanged, killed, burned on the cross, um, may or may not have been crazy. Cool. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, Occupational. <laughs> but their lives were like not that great. <laughs> like most of them, like from at least from what I've read and from what like what I can tell so far most people who like have that handle of profit or visionary attached to them don't have very fulfilling or satisfying personal lives. They're pretty lonely. Many of them have substance abuse issues, um, or at least like have been characterized post-mortem as having what we had. Consider, yeah. um, and many of them were like put away for mental instability. 
And so one of the like situations that I was playing with with this character is I thought it would be real like where where does a prophet have a platform in this day and age? Like where where is somebody going to listen to them on a street corner? Maybe in an AA meeting? Mm-hmm. Maybe in a mental institution? <laughs> like that was kind of what I came to. Um, so I think it's a really really great question that you have that I'm that I would love some some thoughts as I'm solidifying. And you hear a lot of, like, it's kind of a trope, I guess, to, to have, like, the, the tortured prophet, the yeah. tortured psychic to, like, um, say, like, they, they don't really want to do that, but they can't help it. And I think that kind of goes back into the whole theme of, like, following your dreams and, like, making taking those moments and realizing it. Because if you're in a situation like that where it's, like, regardless of what you decide to do, you, if you decide to just go be an actor, if you decide to just, like, be a musician, or you decide to just be, like, a middle manager somewhere, like, you can't turn off the, like, the word of God, like, going into your head, like, you can't, that, that never stops, and so can't they kind of, stop yeah. the jailhouse rock. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah, you never get the luxury of not being that person, you never get the luxury of really pursuing a dream fully, um, when you're in that, so, like, you have only, the only outlet you can do is commit to it fully, and, and so yeah, it no, it, it's starting if you think about it that way or if we're mm-hmm. moving towards that direction it's starting to sound like it's like schizophrenia where you have you, who you are meant to be that is you know totally placed on top of this exterior world of everything else so like those who are schizophrenic you know they are playing out fantastical craziness in their head um, and then to try and shape them into fitting into our mold is where you come to like extreme conflicts. I mean, p- people who are schizophrenic, I mean, it's, it's a spectrum disorder. There are people who suffer every day from it. There's people who comes in waves. Um, even if it, even if it comes in like, Oh, once a month, you know, God speaks to me and now I have to tell everyone, otherwise I will kill myself. Like, even if it's like something like that is that you have to take something that's like, almost I don't want to say magical but something fantastical and try and make it realistic mm-hmm. and then try and justify it which seems impossible exactly. yeah. and that's one of the like <laughs> yeah. that's one of the thin lines like that I feel like I'm yeah. walking yeah. exploring this character because on the one hand totally a trope totally just like way too on the nose way but then there's this other level I've watched I've watched United States of Terra I think I'm on my that's fifth go round of wow. that show <laughs> As I was thinking about this character and yeah, starting to <laughs> um, starting to like conceptualize what it might seem like in like day to day operations if you have this other thing going on in your head. Oh yeah, United States of Terra. She has like six other things going on in her head. Right. Um, and then what's it like to project that existence into grocery shopping, into like paying a phone bill? Maybe it doesn't work. Um. um. I, I think then it's starting to sound like America, or even if this is a personality, or even if this is just a small facet, or a character that this character is playing, it seems like America is perpetually unhappy. And it seems like the only reason, or the, the only way that they could be happy is if they were not in this physical world. Mm. Because then you're, you're, you're trying to place a, a round pig into a square hole. Yeah, I would say, I think that's probably... If we're like that's, trying a fun, to, that's a fun yeah. direction to explore because, I mean, it's not particularly fun or joyful to exist in a 
world that thinks you're, whether or not you're insane that thinks you're insane and projects that onto you. And even if you're saying the truth, I mean, what does that matter? Who knows? Who cares? Plus, to to, to connect it to George as well, is that if you have these societal pressures on you all of your life, George has the benefit of being able to say, I don't want to do it. I'm going to do something else. So he's able to make that break. But, you know, for a character like America, it's like these societal pressures, meaning this pressure from above to do what needs to be done for the sake, even if she's like an anarchist, it's this, this, this moral uh, necessity to do something about it. Um, you don't have the choice not to do that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and like your past exploration of this character, like, have you always kind of viewed her just as a, as a concept, as an abstract, or have you like kind of put her into like a as a human being just deal, like dealing with these thoughts in prison. I have done a little yeah. bit of putting her in as a human mm-hmm. being, which is how I kind of got to this, like, mm-hmm. okay, what does she do for a living? She's yeah. a blues singer. She, nice. you know, mm-hmm. finds um, an existence, a meager existence playing songs in mm-hmm. a bar. And, um, or she exists as a an entity who lives on the street because she doesn't have the capacity to do these things that we, that I take for granted as normal functioning. And how can you have a nine-to-five job if all of a sudden... God's you know, talking to you yeah. at 11 a.m. sharp. Yeah, I've got to leave this because <laughs> I've got to go save this couple on the street. take my break. <laughs> well, and also, this is kind of a different interpretation than maybe like a schizophrenia or like uh, that type of mental torture, I guess. But I like what you said about the blues singer because in a way... This is going to seem like a very obscure reference, but it's a little bit like a good luck Chuck thing. Mm. Like she can see other people's happiness, uh, and, but it makes her a tragic romantic because she can't see it for herself. She can't find those things for herself. Mm. And I feel like that would manifest like very beautifully and artistically in a blues singer because it's sort I, of is putting that feeling. The movie's a lot deeper than I remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, I, I particularly like that idea because then it's, you're never able to feel happiness yourself. You can only help other people. Like if you're a prophet and you're like, make sure that you don't go to you know your favorite coffee shop at five o'clock, okay? Make sure you don't do it. And someone's like, okay, I'm just not going to go. And then they find out that, you know, the coffee was poisoned or whatever, and they survived. They are happy, like, whoo, I get to live another day. I feel better. But it doesn't help you because you got to go save another person. So and I think it's really interesting that you picked, like, a, a blues singer, like a musician, to um, be one of these kind of, like, uh, jobs for her, like, nine to five things. Because it's still, like, most blues singers, they kind of recycle a lot of old songs and stuff like that. So it's, it's still, like, using someone else's, like, words and expressions in order to express herself so like even when she's trying to be herself and she's not trying to to be this uh, kind of role that she's been put into she still has no way to express herself without someone else's help i mean hmm. I, mean, I hadn't thought about like it like she, that she even needs like the other musicians in her band she needs a piano player she needs a trum- uh, trombone player you know she needs something to bring the emotions out of her that she's trying to express because even if she's just herself and this is the one moment she has she can't say it she can't do it that's beautiful no I so I got to the like so full disclosure I got to blues singer because I was just studying blues structure and from like unrelated and I was like oh my god this is amazing I wonder if I can write all of these things in in the form of like a blues or jazz song and what does that sound like and and oh that would that would fit really nicely in with this like tortured artist, prophet character, what if we did that? And so I hadn't thought about it that deeply, but now that you're framing it like this with the 
recycled, almost recycled language. And then when I think about like the history of blues and all the songs that already exist that are potentially a little bit prophetic and beautiful, that's pretty incredible. I mean, it kind of made me think about like Hedwig and the Anchor Inch, because like that's the only <laughs> language that she knows to like say. Like, is it, is, I'm trying Ooh. to tell me, Hedwig and the Anchor Inch. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But I said how the Grinch. How the Grinch. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. What <laughs> that's I am the Grinch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. We use good luck, Chuck, as evidence. That's all artistic credibility. Yeah. Like, no, it's just like that's the only language she knows in order to tell her story. She like has to do it through this like gritty like like these four chord songs that she knows and stuff you know. and she's not particularly talented I like no, that no, is no. like right <laughs> off the bat something that I want to like she's not That's like awesome. a visionary artist as well mm-hmm. she's just like she's got so much happening and so much to say that there's like no time to be technically perfect it's yeah, just gotta like come out play guitar like yeah oh, I really like also the That's idea awesome. that perhaps her even what she's saying is all borrowed that even if it's like something like always speaking in jingles or speaking in quotes or definitions or things you can find so that everything that she has is borrowed like even if it's a jazz or blues or you know um you know a lot of that too is just it's pulled from somewhere else some other source and it's like where does it even begin and I was like, we there's like a huge discussion in the rap community. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. are in the rap community about whether or not sampling is allowed. And it's like, at what point is it even original? Because every song is derivative of something else. And I even showed, <coughs> excuse me, I even showed them one rap song. I think it was Dougie Fresh. It was yeah, Dougie Fresh is like beatbox. That yeah. I know that person. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the most sampled song in history. Like they can track thousands of songs from. All languages were using some portion of that song, of that rap in their their song. Interesting. Well, yeah, and, and, and so like it's it's just like, well, is that thieving? How much is it? You know, thieving. But even to bring to make it more specific, is that is she compelled to speak in other people's words because she can't come up with the words herself? And mm-hmm. we are all borrowing someone else's words that someone at some time invented out of nowhere, like language is. Is you just find something that comes and says about what you need to say and go for it. Maybe it's even like a different language. It's like you're just like, I only know these words in this language and if I can compile this sentence for it to be coherent, please translate it for me. Maybe it's something like that too. Mm. Interesting kind of side note on the later that when he first showed me that song, like I didn't recognize the song at all. Until like certain bits and pieces of it like popped out, which gets copied a lot, but like, it's kind of weird to think that that song has been done thousands of times, and but no one knows the song guy. itself. Yeah. yeah, I'd never heard the song. There was yeah, a couple of lines in that, <laughs> yeah. that I was like, "Oh, that sounds yeah. familiar." Was that like? I feel like that's a familiar. I feel like I heard something on NPR about I, this I, I recently. I definitely heard it on NPR. Okay. <laughs> yes. Not crazy. <laughs> to do one final note on that, real quick, where you were going, kind of with like even the English language or like all languages are borrowed words that someone mm-hmm. created. I, I think that occasionally, like, I have had this experience where, like, I feel like there's, like, no words to express what I need to say. And it would be very interesting to see her in a situation where, like, English language fails. No, I didn't mean to oh, right. No, it's fine. No, that was it. We, it's just, it's just, had, like, two days ago. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because that's exactly... Yeah, but we had a conversation a while back. Uh, well, not a while back. It was like yesterday. Uh, <laughs> what, Forever what, ago. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> um, uh, 
No, we were just talking the other day, and I was trying to think of, like, we need some kind of, like, title for this project so it's easier to market it instead of just, like, last line, second project, you know? <laughs> um, so I had remembered seeing, like, some, like, BuzzFeed list or something like that of, like, obscure, cool words, um, which I realized afterwards was the... the, uh, um, the yeah, they were the, it was the Dictionary of, of Obscure Sorrows. I didn't realize it was fiction when I first saw it, but, like, they're all words that people made up, like, this guy made up for feelings like that, and there was one on there that I thought was like really fitting for kind of where I was coming from with this type of project. Um, and it's, it's, he called the word Sonder, which I thought was Sonder? Totally believable. Sonder, totally believable. Yeah. Um, and it was so the, the definition of it was like um, the realization that uh, everyone that walk, walking by you has a life just as deep and complex as your own. Which so is like, like this yeah. project. Like everyone has, <laughs> like, has their own stories and all these heavy, heavy stuff going on, and like uh, we're never as special as we think about because we're like all just as special as everybody else. Yeah. And so I was like, oh shit, that's an awesome word for this. And then Tony was like, I don't think that's a real word. And I'm like, it's not. <laughs> that's a, so. But what does a real word even mean? Related, <laughs> so related. And right. I mean, who says it's not a real word? Number one, right. if he's purporting that it is in the dictionary of obscure sorrows, I'll buy into that. Obscure yeah. sorrows, yes, I've yeah. got them all. Well, but, <laughs> like, <laughs> Additionally, um, total side note, have you seen, there's this, like, I did I did a thesis on this, like, language, there are words in other languages that don't have English translations that describe, oh, yeah. um, like, really yeah. intense yeah. feelings and uh-huh. situations. Like deja vu. Deja, so we yeah. We don't have a word for it in English, so we call um, it in French. But that's what it made me think of, and so when you said it wasn't a real word, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. what do you mean it's not real? No, and the creator's like, you can use Sonder if you want to. I mean, that's, I'm not saying that it's like, oh, no, that's stupid. I just made that up. It's a joke. But it's just like, yeah, it's a, it's a way I wanted to describe feeling like that. I love that. So, <laughs> the, so it's the realization that everyone's life Texted is it. as deep as yours. It's complex, Basically, yeah. yeah. I texted the definition and I copy-pasted for a minute. You can put it in the Facebook group. I will. Excellent. I would, lo- I would love to see that. Facebook for the win. If we focus on happiness too we can there mm-hmm. there's a greek word eudaimonia if you guys have ever heard that um it's something that i because i used to study like greek i was really fascinated by it when i was in college mm-hmm. but um it basically means um like human flourishing and like um basically in english the closest translation is like um as is like the happiness or welfare of people and like their journeys so like look look up eudaimonia and like what it means. Definitely gotta spell that one. <laughs> yeah, it's E U D A I M O N I A, and like there's no English word to describe. There's a lot of like a lot of languages that have that, but like that's one that's like really specific Ooh, to this. Could potentially be specific to this project. U D A I M N A. No M O N I A. Um, it's, it seems like it's like, it seems like it's the, it's the antithesis of like schadenfreude, mm-hmm. where it's like, I, happiness is the misfortune of others. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the opposite is the happiness at your happiness. You're doing well, so I'm doing well. And then the sun, the sky's was, awake, so I'm the, awake. The realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. Whew. Also known as the feeling you get every time you're at the airport. Right. <laughs> Where are these people going? If you are an empathetic human being. Yes, yes I guess so, if you're not running late. Is that the same feeling you have when you're like driving through those small towns? You're like, who lives here? There's not yes. gas I grew, I grew up there. Yeah. Oh, it's like, heavy. How do you... What are you doing? It's Kalamazoo. Yeah. Poland, actually, outside oh. of Kalamazoo. Oh. Now that we talked about all these characters, <laughs> do you guys want to continue with them since we talked so much about them? Yeah, are you guys invested them, in them? 
Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like, y'all feel like they're connected. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right. We. I mean, we could probably connect a lot of characters. So as long as you guys are confident and like this is something that you really are like passionate about. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Perfect. I'm on board. Um, then the the problem then comes is that the three of us did not write monologues <laughs> of characters. So then we would need to find some sort of yeah. Yes. Well, I was. Did we want to call this one soon? Oh, take a break. Yeah, let's take a break. It's been about an hour. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we can take a break. We will see you soon. Society. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Why is that? There should have been. We're actually not going to see them. Point of point of reference. <laughs> Ariel's bringing out her gun again. <laughs> I just want to make it an exact hour, so I'm just going to... Okay, seven let's seconds burn seven seconds. Seven seconds? Oh, gosh. I can think of a few things. Important that Sweet. we do that...